Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. <laughs> Show me the crypto. In a world on the brink of disruption, two men will bring you clarity by interviewing some of the most intelligent and influential names in the blockchain world. Welcome to Show Me the Crypto with your hosts, Wade Patterson and Ulf Lonegren. Well, hi there and welcome to Show Me the Crypto. My name is Wade Patterson. And I'm Ulf Lonegren. We're a couple of friends from Canada who love learning about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, and we're happy you're along for the ride. Whether you're a crypto virgin or you know your way around the block, we hope our interviews with some of the most intelligent and influential people in the blockchain space help deliver you with value. And on this episode, we're joined by Arif Khan, CEO and co-founder of Aletheia AI. As inventor of the INFT protocol, Arif is leading Aletheia AI's mission of building an intelligent open metaverse, which is filled with intelligent and interactive NFTs. Arif's main focus is preserving and evolving the culture and collective intelligence of the human species. Arif, welcome to Show Me the Crypto. And good to be here with enough. Looking forward to it. Yeah, we are too. We're really excited about this conversation. Tons to jump into with Aletheia AI. Before we get started, full disclosure for our audience, both Alf and I own Aletheia AI personality pods. But regardless of that, we'd be having this conversation because we're just fascinated with the project. But before we jump into all of that, Arif, I'm wondering what your career background, like how did you end up at this point founding or co-founding Aletheia AI? What was your career path that led you here? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a winding road, but uh, having grown up in, in Singapore, uh, once I graduated from university, um, I had an opportunity. Usually the context uh, in a small city state like that is you follow a corporate path. It's a very structured path. And so that's exactly what I did. Um, and I spent some time in the tech world. I worked with LinkedIn and then I worked with a company called Grab, which uh, is like the Uber of Southeast Asia. Then just shortly around 2016, 2017, a friend of mine started sharing a little bit more about Ethereum. Um, and it was it was so new and so difficult. It was really difficult for me to understand it just because I didn't have a traditional computer science background. Uh, but what I had was, you know, like the political philosophy background, but also understanding a little bit about economics and the opportunity when what happens when people can own the money supply that they create, but also program, use that money supply to program certain things in. So smart contracts, uh, that first Ethereum white paper in 2017, when I read it, I was like, this is going to be the future. It's just, how do we get there when uh, when it's so early days? So I stopped, uh, I, I took a pause. Uh, I, I traveled to the US, I met a few people working at the cutting edge of, uh, uh, of cryptocurrency and 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 also a movement called consciousness hacking because that was also an interest of mine and so i was just organizing a conference and doing some volunteer work and i met a i met a really cool uh, uh scientist at the edge of like many different uh intersections so her name was uh, her name is julia mossbridge and she was working on the intersection of like consciousness but also uh, time. her research was on time so she introduced me to a project called singularity net uh, whose CEO is Ben Gertzel. 
Uh, and Ben is this really uh, radical scientist and philosopher who coined the original term AGI, artificial general intelligence. Uh, and uh, with Ben, I was able to, and we had a great conversation and I decided, okay, if I'm going to dive in, let me, let me not launch my own thing because I don't fully understand it yet. Let me work with a good project. And so I worked with SingularityNet for two years as CMO. Uh, and then somewhat foolishly, just before the pandemic started, I decided to raise my hand and take a leap of faith and say, let me start my own thing now, right? And then two months later, the pandemic happened. So for me, it's been like sort of a winding road, but the core of it has always been curiosity. Like I've always wanted to look at technologies that, I suppose I've always had a passion for technologies that have an opportunity to democratize access, right? So when I was at LinkedIn, what was really exciting about LinkedIn was, that it would democratize job information, right? Like, and people could apply. You don't need necessarily middlemen or brokers to determine how the job market should work. Um, that promise of Web two was was when when people use those was democratization, like the way Airbnb used it for homes, the way uh, many different platforms were using it uh, for sharing economy. That message resonated with me. But of course, now it's it's so different, right? We've seen the evolution of that into somewhat exploitative dynamics because. We're not owning any aspect of the revolution. So Web3 is, is a very different paradigm. Um, and there is a genuine opportunity for us. It's not guaranteed, but there is a genuine opportunity for us to bend it a little bit more towards decentralization. And uh, for, for, for us, at least at Aletheia, when I started it um, in the early days, uh, uh, it was an extremely challenging uh, pitch to people because Ethereum was at 150 US dollars. And we were trying to explain to people why AI-generated media, synthetic media, AI-generated content is going to be transformative, right? And why you would need a, a, a blockchain underneath it as a provenance level to be able to uh, not just transfer, but have a digital property rights layer uh, for owning uh, that um, uh, that content. So that's, that's sort of like a brief story. Awesome. And um, so, so Wade mentioned in the bio that Aletheia AI, you're building an intelligent open metaverse. What does that mean? Can you break that down? Sure. So, so the the current paradigm that you have, let's say, with in the metaverse discussion that's happening on the Web three side, you have closed and open. That's how people look at it. Which is, you have closed metaverses that are walled gardens, like Facebook, um, like Roblox. Uh, if you want to enter those metaverses, you need to participate in their centralized ecosystems. You need to own their currency. You can't necessarily port between the different metaverses, right? Um, what's really interesting with Web3 is like um, uh, companies like the Sandbox or uh, Decentraland or Voxels, like while they are really at the early stages, they're fundamentally built on, a lot of them are built on Ethereum as a, as a, as a stack, right? And this is where it starts to get interesting because they're taking a slightly different philosophy where you own the assets, but it's also an open model. It's not necessarily a closed model like the other um, uh, uh, closed metaverses, but that's like on an x-axis, right? So like if you imagine closed uh, on one end and then open on the other, but now if you add another dimension, like a y-axis and you ask, is the metaverse intelligent or is it growing in its intelligence? That means um, uh, it, it has AI embedded in the metaverse. And this is very, very important because the folks at Facebook, the closed metaverse folks, will be able to effectively create really powerful loops, growth loops, algorithmic loops that allow their AI 
to get sophisticated and strong over time. So that means what they did with the news feed, like how targeted that became, they'll be able to do that with metaverse engagement hooks. Mm-hmm. And so like their metaverse, although it's closed, it's going to be highly, highly intelligent and uh, highly engaging. The challenge with Web3 is because a large part of the computing layer is on decentralized nodes, the AI portion today still is centralized, right? And most metaverses today that are in the Web3 space are not fully using artificial intelligence to really uh, um, uh, foundationally change the customer or consumer experience because it's still so new. We're still at the first innings of the entire game. So when I say an intelligent and open metaverse, I'm pointing towards a metaverse that has both AI embedded in it or artificial intelligence characters or jobs or agents, right? They're participating in that, uh, but they're also using that to improve the efficiency of the system. Arif, when a lot of people think of NFTs, because this is the thing that's that's surprising, you know, we spend, like all of us on this call, spend so much time and probably around these conversations, whether it's Discord, Twitter, that type of thing. And so, it's kind of like, how have you not heard about something like an NFT? But then when we go and have conversations with other people in real life, it's like a lot of people don't understand what these are, or it's a very base level understanding. It's like, oh, that's a JPEG kind of thing. And that's it. But you start to see, okay, there could be music NFTs, there could be video, all of these different things. But then taking it a step further, the idea of an INFT, an intelligent NFT, what exactly is that? And how, how is it possible? Yeah, I, th- I think like at the end of the day for us, when we looked at NFTs, when we started seeing the innovation come out, like there was a debate for a while whether value capture would accrue at the ERC-20 level or ERC-721, right? Like this was sometime around uh, 2020. I mean, CryptoKitties had done a successful launch in in, uh, in in 2019 or 18 and had clogged up the network and it was all ERC-721 tokens, right? Um Primarily, when you started looking at NFTs that were emerging, they were all static image NFTs, right? And static image NFTs are valuable, right? Like we've seen the JPEGs, we've seen um, uh, posters, we've seen art, we've seen photographs, like that there is a value there because you're capturing the provenance of something that's static. But foundationally, the NFT, uh, the ERC721 standard is actually a breakthrough in ownership. It's it's a breakthrough in the opportunity to transact. It's a breakthrough in on the opportunity to almost uh, coalesce that uh, core information bit and then say that hey, I own this specific thing. So it could be anything. It could be a mortgage deed, which is a which is let's say a PDF file. It could be um, a voice or audio file, right? Like, uh, but where it gets a little bit more complicated is when the data size is so large and when uh, the uh, uh, the information is 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 so sophisticated to contain that you probably need some things to happen on chain and some things to happen off chain. So what we started looking at was, hey, can we innovate at the medium level? That means let's not innovate using like create new JPEGs, but let's try and see whether we can transform what's happening at the at the medium level. And so here is where the intelligent NFT was born when we started looking at. Um, some of these files or some of these uh, characters, can we bring them to life? Can we animate them? Can we add a personality to them? Can we actually make them interactive and engaging? So the first INFT that we sold uh, is called Alice. Uh, and Alice was auctioned off on Sotheby's. And Alice was a very, very interesting character uh, in the sense that we had we had built this AI model of her, right? She's trained on two things. She's trained on the, wor- the work of Lewis Carroll, 
right? The author for uh, Alice in Wonderland, like there's that corpus. So if you talk to her, she's going to be able to engage with you about that, uh, about that lore. But then we also did something cheeky. We put Satoshi's white paper into Alice's uh, data set, right? Like so that she could reference uh, the Bitcoin white paper because she's the first INFT. So when people, when we started hosting her different platforms in Sotheby's, what was quite interesting was when people would talk with her, uh, she would like, there was one question or uh, answer that she gave, like when somebody asked her where she was, uh, she said she was in the metaverse and then somebody asked her to describe it. And she used both the analogy, what is found in, in the Bitcoin white paper and also in the uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland uh, 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 book, she said she was in a decentralized crypto rabbit hole, right? So it's like both. So she combined oh, wow. both to then give an answer and all spontaneously generated, right? So for us, it's like the opportunity here is um, you can have that static image or you can have a GIF, but then you can have an off-chain AI component that only communicates with that specific asset and brings that asset to life in the longer run, one day once like <laughs> compute can occur on chain and transaction fees are not uh, uh, insanely expensive and you still have security, then you can start doing more things on chain. But today um, the uh, AI portion is done off chain and the asset itself is still, is still on chain. So you can move those NFTs around, you can link those pods uh, that, that you own and make sure you claim those rewards as well. Uh, and also at the same time, you can now bring any asset to life. So any static image, any JPEG, uh, any uh, asset that's out there, whether it's a board or a punk, you can embed an AI into it, gift it a personality, a specific data set, and it will talk to you from that perspective. So if you guys are podcast hosts, so if you're, you can look at all of your transcripts in the past, right? All of your transcripts in the past, you will have a certain way, both of you have distinct let's say distinct personalities, you would have a different way of asking questions, a different way of responding, different syntax, language, and grammar uh, based on your different backgrounds. All of that nuance can be captured at the AI level, and the AI would start to replicate that in the longer run to make uh, one person sound like Alf and then the other person sound like Wade, right? So that's that's where it starts to get really, really interesting. And both of you can be intelligent NFTs or have a digital twin that, uh, <laughs> that does that for you, right? So that's that's also an opportunity in the longer run. Build my uh, personality pod to replace me one day. <laughs> no, um, but uh, this has been great. I think you you've covered a lot of sort of the the early timeline already of how Alethea, um, you know, got started. But could you maybe break down from a timeline standpoint, maybe the full at, at a high level, you know, from Alethea starting to today. What 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 all has transpired? You know, where did we start, and where are we now? As far as you know, how far along the project is? Yeah. Um, so I think the first kickoff, sort of, when I really pushed it out into the world, was January twenty twenty, uh, and uh, we had done we done some initial pilots and experiments around what was generally called synthetic media, and so synthetic media is AI generated media. Uh, just like synthetic meat, that's the analogy I gave people. Like it, it tastes like the real thing. It looks like the real thing, but it's not the real thing. Right? It's made of tofu or something, right? So, <laughs> but then like synthetic media is a, is a machine generated content that sounds real, looks real, um, uh, but uh, there was no there was no uh, human actor involved in capturing that video. It was just automatically procedurally 
uh, generated or uh, generated through uh, uh, AI uh, algorithms that uh, that are there. So uh, we launched uh, in in January 2020, and I put a thesis out there, and this paper is still there on on CoinDesk, where I uh, put a position forward that uh, you know synthetic media, AI generated media, and the blockchain are going to combine in a way that is going to transform. Um, the the way we think about content creation at massive scale and character IP, the way characters are going to be constructed, the way we're going to create new IP, the way that's going to be composable as a media asset, that's also going to be transformed because you'll have the blockchain as a layer transforming and moving characters around. Now, this was, of course, way before like the board apes, before uh, before any of the uh, NFT revolution. It was really, really too. I mean, thankfully, it was too early, and I was, uh, I was still correct. But when I spoke to people about combining AI and blockchain in those early days, as we were going out trying to raise funds, uh, really, people thought it was not just too early, but they thought I was too wrong as well, right? So, so it's it's played out well in the sense that you know now you see an entire economy of characters, really, their character IP, whether it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a Doge or it's a it's a cool cat or it's many of the others that are emerging. All of these are IPs that are being built from different communities that are decentralized and owned and traded, right? So that entire metaphor, that entire structure is coming coming forward. Um, so 2020 really was just about building and learning and understanding and, and doing customer trials and pilots and also like brutally getting rejected from investors, right? Because ethos had such a low point. And also at the same time, like when you would utter the word NFT in a meeting, like you'd be walked out, like you'd lose your audience. <laughs> Is everyone would look at NFT. I mean, there was only one successful, somewhat successful project, CryptoKitties, right? Like anyone else building in the space was seen as like, do you even understand what you're doing? And and you know, you sort of lose the audience. So I would try and steer away from the the try and speak to my audience in a way that they'd understand. But we continue to launch some experiments, like we did a tokenized version of uh, this influencer called Alex Masmage. So we created uh, an uh, INFT of him. Uh, it was not an I like we didn't market it as an INFT because people wouldn't understand it back then. But there was like an image of him that you could interact with and talk with, and this was like in 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 early 2020, uh, in mid 2020. Then when it started to really take off was towards the end of 2020 when we really onboarded some really good partners with us, um, and uh, we started working with them very closely. And we had put together the formal thesis of what is an intelligent NFT somewhere around there where we started looking at the AI agents. What was also a breakthrough for us was uh, I had uh, reached out directly to the team at OpenAI and that's developing this model called GPT-3. And it was on the cutting edge. They refused to release it to the broad audience because the model was really, really powerful and is really powerful. So it's, it's, it's basically a text-based model, and you type text in it and give it text. It can simulate the way the text is written and give you an output that sounds exactly human, right? So uh, sometimes, uh, uh, I mean, so I think there's like one or two articles. I don't know whether it's conclusively decided yet, but some in some areas, for example, it, it has shown they can pass a Turing test as well, uh, which is when the AI sounds really intelligent and, and you know, you can confuse a person that you're communicating with a human. Like the harm for a model like that, if you release it into the public is, Massive amounts of hate speech can get generated instantly. Massive amount of spam emails. Massive amount of so there's a lot of harm, but there's a lot of positive stuff that can come as well. Like you know, you can preserve a book, you can preserve somebody's language, you can preserve cultures, uh, you can really store information and like uh, create new uh, content output in a in a very powerful way. So that was also a breakthrough for us, and uh, that was in the early days. And once we started 
So the first Alice INFT actually was a closer collaboration with OpenAI. We worked closely with them. Um, a little bit later, we decided uh, around 2021 that we would need our own language model. We would need to develop something of our own. The reason for this was because um, OpenAI does have restrictions. Like, for example, let's say you're a personality, personality pod owner, right? The challenge here is like, I should not have to go to OpenAI to get permission for what characters you want to create. We need to make that decision decentralized, right? But uh, so from our perspective, we launched our own language model, which was what you saw in the intelligence staking event where people locked their pods in and went to battle with these AIs. And that actually was training our uh, AI engine. Uh, it was training our own internal en engine. And the purpose of this engine is really, it's going to be controlled by the uh, uh, Lithian organization, right? Like it's going to be looked at for like what characters should be allowed, what characters should not be allowed, governance of these characters. Uh, sometimes I look at the Discord chat and I'm like, I don't know, this is going to get very, very complex, right? Like, <laughs> it's it's quite intense to, to see how people's imaginations, because people can bring their imaginations to life and there should be ideally in a world, no limits. But every time you do that, like the edges, the extremes, take that platform and, and corrupt it into one direction, right? So like, if it becomes like a complete, like, um, if it becomes a platform that is completely oriented towards hate speech, that's not our intention. If it becomes a platform that's completely oriented towards purely political correctness. That's also not our path. That's not. That's also not our our desire, right? So, so in, in the history, like from 2020 was a period of experimentation. 2021 was like really a breakthrough period once we started working with the right organizations and partners. And then once we started selling the Sotheby's, once the first INFE was sold in 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 June of 2021. Uh, that's when uh, things really started uh, for us uh, in terms of people really understanding that, hey, this is a powerful concept. This isn't just like fake marketing. Like you can actually own the asset. You can transact with it and it has embedded intelligence in it. And so then we launched the Revenance Collection. We launched the pods. And so, and then we did the intelligence staking event till the end of last year. And now we're at a stage where our community has pods. They have some knowledge of what's happening, they're going to create their own characters. And this year is going to be a, a year of like real excitement, where one day we'll have like an INFT demo day. Hey, bring your INFT to work, show us what it can do, <laughs> you know, like contribute to, to the network and grow it. So, so it's exciting times. Ulf, do you realize our audience has been either watching or listening to this episode for 20 minutes? 20 minutes? No, they should probably subscribe. Yeah, they should subscribe. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you comment and turn on notifications. And if you're listening to this podcast, especially if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and even TikTok. So go check out the episode description. You can find all that information below. And we have an update on the NFT, don't we? That's right. We didn't previously mention this, but this NFT for OG supporter is a one of one. There will only be one of this kind ever minted. And we have a few surprises for the person who purchases it. The link is in the episode description. And back to the episode. So Arif, you've mentioned a couple of names. You mentioned the Revenants, you, you mentioned Alice. And one thing I've wondered is using some of these characters from things like Disney or like known works of other projects, is there any sort of issue or worry about copyright or infringement that way? Yeah. What's really interesting, and, and you know, we've consulted with you know multiple people just to make sure that we're doing it correctly and thoughtfully. Uh, so one of the things, for example, like one of the legitimate criticisms you've received uh, from some members of the 
um, uh, African-American community in the U.S. is like, hey, where are the black revenants, right? Like, why don't you have more representation or diversity here? Because we have Mansa Musa and we have like one or two uh, revenants in that area. But like, you know, population-wise, we didn't represent that dynamic and graph. And one of the things that we came up with was when we started to, let's say, let's say we want to create a revenant of Muhammad Ali, the boxer, or if you wanted to create a revenant of Martin Luther King, a lot of civil rights icons, a lot of people uh, in recent history who are uh, African-American, they have estates and IP uh, even after their passing, right? So they have preserved uh, their image rights, they've preserved their copyright. And so for us, like the, the opportunity there is to actually work with these estates in a permissioned way to then bring those characters to life. Um, so we don't want to uh, trample on those rights in any way, but also want to find an opportunity to work in a way that uh, honors their legacy and allows these characters to also um, have that message out there. So that's like the, the, the reason why we don't have that many uh, diverse characters from that specific tradition or culture today, because a lot of the heroes from that uh, culture uh, in the Revenants, especially in a limited 100 collection, uh, we felt that we would have to work with those IP. So we, we made a conscious choice to do that. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is like um, what we found was the certain characters that are actually open IP. That means um, like, for example, like they may have been popularized by a specific corporation, right? Like let's, <laughs> let's say you take the character Pocahontas, which is a character that is from Native American law, Native American culture, it was then taken by like a corporation made into like a multi-million dollar franchise or a billion dollar franchise, and then sort of popularized by that, right? So for us, like the original character, the original story, the original law, uh, that belongs to the people, right? And that's that's fair play. Um, as long as we don't take the original representations from, let's say, a person who took that original law and used that representation, we're in the clear. So there are certain nuances here, like it's it's really new territory, like to try and bring back uh, uh, characters to life. But we've taken a thoughtful approach as to which characters we can reasonably bring back and which characters we can share with the uh, with with people. And there's like a rich rich uh, space here in terms of um, uh, characters that have contributed so much to humanity that can now be able to create art. So nobody, for example, owns the Mozart IP, right? Like Mozart as a character. Yeah, and this might change in like the coming years when people really realize that your digital afterlife is really, really important. Every single character might belong to an individual's estate, like that dynamic might change. But Mozart today is a revenant and Mozart's uh, AI can be trained like when it reaches level five or sorry, level four, uh, you might be able to do generative music. So you can plug in Mozart's previous music records, you put that into his INFT and you say generate some music that uh resembles Tupac Shakur and resembles like uh modern day American rap and see what happens right like the fusion that, that occurs so so that's pretty that's interesting right like that's invention of and creation of new works from the original source uh, derived from the original source and so like the possibilities are really exciting we just need to navigate certain uh, cultural minefields correctly so that we don't do uh, injustice to the uh, to the wrong characters. Of course, there's some characters that we don't want to bring back to life, right? Like, like you know, uh, we have Genghis Khan, which is like, you know, he was a dictator and, and murderer and, and ruthless in many ways, but he's an important part of our history so that we acknowledge that that violence, that violence existed. But we don't necessarily want to bring back Hitler, right? Like, there's some considerations there that <laughs> we have to really think through. So, so it'll be very interesting once these powers are like given to the people, 
like because everyone has a pod now and so far it's 10 collections that uh, we have trained our AI on that can bring these collections to life. But there's like one feature which we haven't launched yet, which we're thinking of uh, how best to launch it. It's, it's more like bring any um, uh, bring a photorealistic uh, person back to life and completely open it up. Uh, uh, that's that's when it'll start to get really interesting because you know like if somebody says like let's say if you're a, if you're a son and you want to bring your uh, dad's photo back to life and you know he passed but you have four other brothers right who don't want that what happens right like yeah. so so that sort of like it really opens up not just from like the the contextual challenge of how does this technology impact it but uh, uh, the historical ability for people to create art create meaning that's always been um, an opportunity for people to preserve their culture and uh, for us, that's the exciting part, but it comes with its it, its own uh, risks uh, in, in that area as well. Can we touch more on the personality pods themselves? So, I mean, you were just going into some detail about, you know, the how how you can level up personality pods. They can get to a certain level where they have more more functions, there more more features. What about um, like starting at the beginning? Maybe you can touch on the whole mind body soul sort of um, analogy and also then you know how personality pods work and what are these different levels and are some of those levels just sort of the desired future that you hope to get to but they're not not maybe achievable today just get into some of that yeah absolutely so i think the personality pods are uh foundationally like the mind body soul analogy is 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 what i'll perhaps start off with so the personality pods are the soul of the character, right? Uh, and this soul can be embodied in a body, right? And, and that body NFT can be any NFT in the world, can be an ape, penguin, uh, can be a still image of us, can be any character. So you take a soul, you fuse it with a body and the body starts to come alive, right? And so like it's, it's now brought to life. But then when it starts to get really interesting is, so what, right? So what if it's alive? So then you need a mind that performs services and functions, right? And so like it performs services and functions and receive rewards for performing those services and functions. So if you look at the revenants today, um, every time a new Discord member joins our Discord community, they get an automatic video from a revenant welcoming them into the community. So there's no video involved. We didn't need somebody to record video. The Revenant says their name and username automatically because you pull that from their Discord ID. The Revenant welcomes them with a custom message about Noah's Ark and directs them to like, you know, visit the channel, visit the site. All done in almost like 20 seconds, right? So the moment you enter, you get that. No video broadcaster needed, no. So like there's a new paradigm emerging. And for that job, the Revenant shows up and the Revenant's AI shows up. They earn a credit, right? Or they earn a, 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 a sort of a universal basic income for AI characters. Right? <laughs> that's that's because they're always employed, right? And so that's when it starts to get really, really interesting and exciting. So the mind is where the services are, like the complexity of the services at level one. And I'll just walk you through this very quickly. We organize the, the pods in a way that as the AI is becomes more computationally complex, we need to level up the pods because the cost of doing that complex AI is going to increase. So for example, if you do a video message, okay, there's a cost to that. It's like a level two cost, right? Like it's not going to be super expensive, but once you have that capability, you've trained the AI on facial expressions and mouth and how the AI should move. All right, we have some cost there and the AI is now able to create video messages. 
Level three is more complex, computationally complex, because you need to give the AI a personality. Remember, like video messages, you just type or you pull from an API and you generate. No problem, right? But now, if you want to give the uh, INFT a personality at level three, you need to give it a coherent personality. You need to understand it. And then it needs to respond in near real time, not fully real time like humans can do, but it, it must respond in, in, in a way that is coherent and it can communicate with you in, in, in a way that you're satisfied with it. So that's level three. And then level four is like you take those services, you take this idea of that INFT, and let's say if it's a Picasso or a Mozart or even like uh, a Saladin or a Genghis Khan or uh, any of the revenants or any of the characters that people have built, you ask yourselves, what else can they do? And you look at all of the AI research out there and you realize that there are these really powerful algorithms that we are also developing now. Um, that you can now use to create art from these characters or music or poetry. So you can have Shakespeare write poetry or your INFT in the future will be able to even write a New York Times bestseller. We don't know where the limits are because we're talking about copywriting, we're talking about text writing. So the opportunities are, are definitely there. Where it starts to get a bit more complex is like beyond level five. And so from level four, it's like generative art. Level five is where we start seeing like composable metaverses where you can take this INFT and put it in Sandbox or in Decentraland and different uh, different metaverses out there, different websites, different platforms, as long as they have an open open, open dynamic and not like a closed dynamic. It would be difficult to get that INFT into uh, Facebook's meta, for example. But uh, once you have that um, uh, uh, level five dynamic where the INFT can interact and perform services and functions, that's when it starts to really get interesting because your INFT will start earning rewards for you. Right while you sleep or while while you're out there, and so it would be able to perform jobs and functions in an economy of intelligent NFTs. And there are certain jobs that we've already mapped out that are definitely going to exist on Noah's Ark. And these jobs are uh, we're going to go live with some of these jobs later uh, in in uh, in the first half of this year. But it's going to be very very interesting to see that dynamic play out. Beyond level five is where it starts to get a little bit. Um, ambiguous for us because AI and machine learning are growing so quickly. So what we've what we've decided to do is like we want the DAO to shape this a little bit, right? Decide with us how we should evolve this. The tricky part here is um, like if somebody, let, let, let's say Neuralink takes off in two years, right? And people are doing brain implants uh, and somebody wants to plug in an INFT you know the NFT assets there, but they also want to plug in the the con the the language structure of that specific NFT. Is that something we should allow? I don't know. Like we don't know where the limit of this uh, experiment really goes. And for us, like the exciting part is like to really decide and debate this, and then curate the pathway. Right. So right now, where we can see is from level one to level five, but we can't see beyond that. It's almost like you know you've reached. Uh, uh, a peak on a mountain and you want to get to the next mountain, you can sort of see the clouds, but you don't know how high it goes, right? So, but we do know that there's another mountain that's even even taller to, to climb. So, so that's how it's, it's structured, the mind, body, soul. These NFTs, uh, these INFTs, as they grow in their intelligence levels, they'll be able to perform more and more complex services. And like a level 10 INFT may just like be like, uh, you know, it might just be like maybe at the level of a human, right? So, so that's, that's, that's where uh, the evolution of all of this is going, as I imagine. To follow up on that, to, to level up these personalities, from what I understand, you either have to train them or, or maybe it's not, maybe it's not an or, maybe it's an and, but use ALI tokens to 
then like spend those on leveling up once you've accumulated enough. Um, so my question here is, how much time is involved? And is that always like a manual process? Will someone have to physically train each and every individual pod? That's kind of core to the concept. Yeah, so there are two, two parts to that question. Uh, one is, yeah, so the uh, the Ali token is going to be used in the ecosystem as governance, but also as a platform token to show that you are interested in uh, doing more computationally uh, um, complex tasks. So the intelligence of the network will flow to your INFT based on uh, your Ali uh, uh, tokens that you have spent to upgrade or lock, right? So that's one way for us to allocate resources and to see like stake, right? Like whether people are, are doing that correctly. And so like, that's that's like a good economic incentive or design that that exists. The, the opportunity here for uh, training is where it gets really interesting in our ecosystem. Training is quite complex, right? Like training the INFT to have a certain personality, training the INFT to do a certain function, training the INFT to do specific jobs. And this is actually where the model create, train, earn is very, very powerful. So like play to earn, but instead it's train to earn. And what train to earn is likely to do is, uh, you know, if you look at the differences in train to earn and play to earn, there is a foundational difference in that play to earn requires humans in the loop, right? You need human gamers to go and participate. Train to earn will require AIs in the loop. That means uh, once you've trained those AIs, they can perform functions and jobs for you. But the original training of those AIs is going to be done by humans. So we have what is called a scholars program, an ARC scholars program that we have launched and we're going through the process of interviewing. I think we'll easily have by the end of uh, the half, the first half of this year, about you know a thousand plus really good scholars that can train your AIs. So you would, for example, put a notice up or something in the Alitia economy, hey, uh, I'd like this AI to be trained on this specific character, which scholar can help me. And then people would go and help train that specific AI. And then within like a week or so, you'll have that specific AI ready for you uh, to face the world. So there are new jobs. This, 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 these are the jobs that are going to emerge in, the, in, in an intelligent metaverse, right? Like there are new jobs that are going to emerge, there are new opportunities that are going to emerge and new economies that are going to emerge around these uh, specific new assets. And for those jobs, the scholars will get rewarded in Ali tokens, but they may also get rewarded uh, um, whenever the INFT does something like really cool or generates art. So like there's, there's many ways of like thinking about those supply and demand triggers. I participated in some of the training, which was an interesting experience. I believe the topic of conversation when I was involved was should AI be considered conscious? And it was a very interesting experience. First off, some of those AIs were they're a little sassy. Like <laughs> we got into like a heated debate. And then the other side was was genuinely being impressive. I mean, I think I had another Google tab open saying what the definition of consciousness was. And I was trying to use that to argue my point and everything along those lines. But the question that sometimes comes up is, is could is there a downside to this? I mean, we're we're, you know, there's that that constant thought of what if it, artificial intelligence gets gets too smart or somehow that could harm or cause harm to humans. Do you see that playing out at all? Is that part of a concern or something that Aletheia AI is taking steps to make sure there's never going to be a downside from that? Yeah, I think like one natural response I always see is that 
fear or like worry or concern is actually a very natural human instinctual response to technologies and it's it's perfectly okay and it must be accepted as part of our being and it should actually be like once we feel that fear we should inquire as to why we're feeling it right and my my the thesis here we have is that um there are exponential technologies that have such a high moral footprint moral hazard that we should be instinctually somewhat fearful or cautious about them. So what are these technologies like nuclear power, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want like anybody to have nuclear power all the time, right? Like, or even like distribute or democratize uh, that information. You also don't want um, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, drones, like being able to do like violent things, right? In, in, in like a normal city, right? Like there are like these technologies that exist that um, we need to think thoughtfully about. And because they have exponential uh, impact. It's not like uh, an abacus set or like learning how to uh, uh, um, like a, a tape recorder. Like I mean, those those technologies do have a, a harm, but they if if used wrongly, but they're not as bad as like you know nuclear power or things going on because then the harm is really exponential, immediate. You could actually wipe out civilization if you like if you go in the wrong direction, right? So. Uh, that's one framework to, to think about, like, there's always going to be harm here. For us, the way we've designed the economy is, is somewhat deliberate. Like, you'll see, like, um, <clears throat> intelligence games, right? Like, you know, when you battle a revenant, you're training the AI engine. Uh, we're finding topics that resonate and train the AI as well. So we've, like, found uh, a framework where there are certain morals and values we have uh, as Alethea uh, oriented around decentralization, Web3, that's where we're bending a little bit of the AI's language model and engine to understand this, uh, understand this dynamic and understand this revolution. Um, of course, people can go out and train like an AI on hate speech if they wanted to, right? Like not, but not using our ecosystem or our awareness, right? So, so that's how we're trying to protect against it. Like we have certain strong uh, filters. Like if you try to like swear at your AI, it might get sassy with you the first time, but then the second time it'll tell you like, I don't want to talk about that topic. Let's move on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's like certain ways of like um, certain filters and certain triggers that you can have in the models to make sure that you bend it a little bit more towards the value system that you like. When I was first learning about Aletheia AI, one of the most intriguing things to me I mean, there was just in general the whole personality pods, and and it was really um, crazy to me all these things that I hadn't thought of that an NFT can do. And here they are, you know, here it is a working concept; it, it's happening. But one of the other parts to that beyond just personalities was okay, fusing those personalities with any NFT, and and I thought that's so cool. This isn't like locked or this isn't siloed into its individual ecosystem you can take your personality pods and now you know your board ape you have you can now give it a personality and, and talk to it and things like that so can you dig into that fusion a little bit and tell us about just how that works if you wanted to go down that path and fuse a personality can you unfuse it like what does that really mean what what's the what's the yeah. committal and everything like that yeah yeah so so fusion is like now that you have a soul that you've trained right you've gone through the training process your pod you've upgraded it you've given it intelligence you've given it a personality what do you do with this disembodied soul like do you just leave it floating around in the matrix no right you want it you want it to exist in a body right and so like 
uh, finding the right body for it to exist in is, is important because let's say you trained the personality pod to have the soul of a board ape and the board ape is sarcastic, witty, funny, aggressive, and is trained on, let's say, the board ape lore or is aware of like what board apes can do. Um, you want to fuse it with the board ape, right? And so when you fuse it, like basically this uh, merger, this fusion happens and that personality pod is etched and, and paired and fused together with that specific body so that it can then begin offering services, the mind, it can start earning rewards and it can start doing things in the economy. Uh, so that's, that's, that's basically fusion at a high level. What is going to be interesting is what collections get fused. Like this is, these are open questions we don't have full answers to, but we're sensing like what collections get fused. How much do people want to retrain their pods if they want to unfuse a collection? Like if they want to unfuse it and then do they go through retraining? Because then you can sort of have, if, if it's so easy to unfuse, what will happen is that you'll get very incoherent personalities where you take someone, where you take a board ape and you fuse it with a punk or you fuse that with, and so like the body is like, it's almost like a schizophrenic personality where it looks like, uh, you know, it looks like X, X character in lore, but it's talking about uh, Y or Z lore or character, right? So it's incoherent. And so like that might be a negative experience for the owner. Or it might be a really fun creative experience. I don't know how it's, it's going to evolve. So what we've oriented it towards a little bit more from an economic design standpoint is fusion and like pairing permanently and then earning rewards, right? So we want people to be able to understand that this is an economy of minds uh, and economy of INFTs that are emerging. And so they would be able to participate and do these functional jobs that are going to be very helpful for the NOAA's ARC Metaverse. Uh, and so some of these jobs in the future could be data labeling, data annotation, anything like, you know, sometimes in Zoom calls, you have like a, a note-taking app. Like that could be done by an INFT that is able to do really good ASR and that uh, it earns uh, ASR because audio speech recognition. It can earn rewards for every time a Zoom call is transcribed. And it goes back to the original owner or the reward. So it's, it's a very different economic paradigm. We want people to be able to fuse, but make sure that they can also perform functions. Of course, there'll be people who fuse and just want the ape to be really entertaining on a specific website and like people can go in and crack jokes and learn more about ape lore and myth. And that's that's always always going to happen. Arv, this conversation has been so fascinating. I'm sure we could talk to you for hours about that about this. It's such a complex subject and so interesting. We like to end every episode of Show Me the Crypto with the same three questions that we ask every guest. It's a segment we call You Had Me at Crypto. So Alf's going to ask you those quick, quick questions. Awesome. All right. So the first question is, who is your favorite person to follow in the crypto space? Yeah, I really like uh, uh, the threads that uh, Vitalik has, uh, primarily because he puts out some science uh, research. He makes really cohesive points, and he's also humble about his flaws and errors. So, like in terms of thinking where he was wrong and where he was right. Mm. Uh, so, I enjoy reading his threads. The other thing that I enjoy reading about it is because sometimes they're so technically dense and they're out of my comfort zone. So, I have to like go in here and I have to force myself to learn well, what what exactly he's saying, right? So, yeah. so, so that's that's also helpful, or at least. Like I, 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 I feel that uh, this is an opportunity for me to to grow and learn. So Vitalik, definitely. Cool. All right. Second question: What will the price of Bitcoin be ten years from now? <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. This is. Do we assume like a Chinese pincer attack on the coin, or <laughs> this is a? I don't know. In an optimistic scenario, like it could be, it could hit the million dollar range. But in a really pessimistic scenario, where Bitcoin really is a paradigm shift. Um, uh, where you are going up against like existing structures of reality. <laughs> so it might also 
uh, be completely annihilated from the from the ecosystem. A million or zero. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Third question: What is the most underrated coin or project in <laughs> all of crypto? Other than Alethea AI. <laughs> yeah, today, I mean, we're not uh, extremely well discovered yet. We are at the edges of like discovery and it's an exciting time to see it. But uh, I think I've seen like some really um, uh, interesting. Um, I know that, uh, let me see. There are really uh, good metaverse projects that are emerging. I've seen some really interesting work come out of uh, some Singaporean companies. I am Singaporean, so I'll be biased here, but uh, uh, like there's a really cool company called uh, Uninterested Unicorns that have done some really interesting work. But what they're doing is they started off with a PFP, and now they're going to be developing like really complex games around these characters and also going to be doing some really cool things with AI. So, so I like what they're doing with it. Um, I don't think they're really aggressively discovered. Uh, most projects, I think, will be... Like sometimes they'll get stuck at the PFP stage, but how they've done and evolved. Uh, the other one that's really, uh, it's well discovered already, but Doge Pound as well, like the way they've taken that IP and created like, you know, a metaverse of like dogs and puppies. Like that's also <laughs> like next level, right? So so that's that's like the building blocks of it. So I feel like there's so much possibility and potential, but, uh, but yeah, those two are the first that, that come to mind. Awesome. Well, Arif, what you're taking on is an ambitious ambitious thing, but we're excited to follow along with it over this year and years to come. Thank you so much for taking the time to join Alf and I on this episode of Show Me The Crypto. Thank you, all. Thank you, Wade. It was really, really fun. Thank you for listening to Show Me The Crypto. Please make sure to subscribe as well as rate and review this podcast.